on the show today. The U.S. government issues new guidance for critical infrastructure following the Colonial Pipeline incident. Apple and Google release new patches for iOS and Chrome. A supposed flaw in Apple's M1 chip is really much ado about nothing. Our Scam of the Day talks about work-from-home scams. And today's tip gives you six ways to stay safe when you travel. All of that and more is coming up on the June 1st, 2021 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. I have four stories on the newsbeat for you today. We begin with follow-up from the Colonial Pipeline incident. As the United States begins to examine how the country can begin protecting its critical infrastructure, The TSA, which oversees pipeline security, is preparing to deliver two new directives aimed at protecting our critical infrastructure. The first will require pipeline companies to report cyber attacks to the TSA, and the second, which will follow in a few weeks, will establish a set of rules for how pipelines must secure their infrastructure. Currently, the TSA has guidelines for securing pipeline systems, but they are voluntary, and most experts say they fall far short of what is needed. You might be surprised to hear of the TSA's involvement in pipeline security, but the agency does more than just airport security. Since 2002, security of pipeline systems has fallen under the TSA's purview, while safety of the pipes themselves falls to another government department. So far, the TSA has mostly focused on the physical security of systems, but that seems like it is about to change very soon. Moving to Georgia, a student has been suspended following an incident that the school claims was perpetrated by the student himself, but the student's family claims was a case of Zoom bombing the virtual classroom. The student claims that on one day when he stayed home sick, he observed people attempting to sign into the class with offensive names and heard at least one person shout a racial slur. The school examined the IP addresses of those who tried to sign in and claims the offensive logins came from that student's home. The student, of course, maintains his innocence and claims that it was a case of bad data. His family says that at least four other students who were part of the class were also reported as having the same IP address, something that should be impossible. However, this incident illustrates the challenges of using an IP address for identification. There are a number of circumstances that can tie activity back to your address without it actually coming from you. Hopefully, the evidence in this case will ultimately point to the true perpetrator, whether it was this student or someone else. 
In other news, both Google and Apple released numerous software patches this week. Google released 32 patches for its Chrome browser, including 8 that were considered to be high-severity issues. The most significant of these bugs, which was in Chrome's autofill system, resulted in a $20,000 payout through Google's bug bounty program. Google typically does not release specific information on vulnerabilities until most systems have been patched, so we only know the portions of the Chrome browser that were affected, but not specifically what was wrong. Meanwhile, Apple released 38 patches for the iOS operating system. The most significant of these patches fixes an issue that allowed a malicious app to gain permissions from a different app in order to bypass privacy and security controls. For example, the app might be able to record your screen using permissions you granted to another app, bypassing the need to ask for screen recording permissions itself. The number of issues discovered in these products might seem large to you, but most of these are not serious. However, given that there were a few serious issues found in each product, it will be a good idea to update them when you can. It's also a very good reminder that you still need to be careful what apps you install on your devices. And finally, we'll conclude with a different Apple vulnerability that made news this week, but that probably belongs in the blown-out-of-proportion category. You might have heard the news stories that Apple's new M1 chips being used in Mac products have a supposedly unpatchable flaw. While this is technically true, the implications of this flaw, at least for now, are extremely insignificant. The flaw allows access to a very small amount of the protected system register in the processor, permitting a program to write two bits of data into an area of the register that was otherwise unused. One bit is the data typically represented by either a 1 or a 0, meaning that there is almost an insignificant amount of data that can be added maliciously. It is true that a flaw like this can't be fixed without replacing the chip itself, but when it deals with such an insignificant amount of data and isn't in an area that is likely to be viewed by any programs, there's going to be very little that could be exploited with this flaw. Sure, it's hypothetically possible that someone could find a way to exploit it in the future, but off the top of my head right now, I can't come up with a way that this could be exploited. So while it is true that an unpatchable issue was found in Apple's chips, it's no reason to chuck your new Mac in the trash right away. And now we move on to the scam of the day. Today's scam is the work from home scam. Obviously, working from home is not a scam for many people. There have been millions of people working from home at least part of the time for years and millions more began working from home at the start of the pandemic last year. However, not all jobs advertised as work from home are legitimate employment opportunities. There are two very common versions of work from home scams. 
In the first type of scam, you'll be offered a job to work from home, but you'll be expected to pay something up front. The exact reason why you might need to pay will vary, but it could be described as an application fee, a cost for training materials, or the cost of equipment that you'll be sent for your job. Regardless of what reason they give you, you'll pay the money, but you'll never hear from them again. A variation of this scam that I heard about involved needing to purchase equipment, such as a computer, in order to do the job. Never mind the fact that you already have a computer at home, you have to have a specific model in order to be able to do your job correctly. The scammers would send a link with the exact computer to purchase. However, the computer was likely being sold from a website operated by the scammers, and they would make it difficult for you to get your money back. A second type of work-from-home scam might involve doing actual work for actual money, but this work could actually be work for criminals. One common purpose is to move money around for money laundering schemes. The criminals will tell you that your job is to act as a courier for money withdrawing it from one bank and depositing it in another, while getting to keep some of the money for yourself as payment. But if you get caught involved in this process, you will be on your own to prove your ignorance of your involvement in this scheme. This scam could also move things other than money. You could be moving files or data as well in order to help people hide their tracks. You'll be paid so that you keep helping out in this scheme but the money won't be worth it if the authorities come for you. So if someone offers you a work-from-home job but wants you to pay up front or is very light on the details of exactly what you'll be doing, don't accept the job. There's a very high likelihood that you're getting involved in something that you shouldn't be involved in. If you find a scam you think we'd like to talk about on the show, you can send it to us at scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now it's time for our cybersecurity pop quiz. Each week, we ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is a variation of the true or false question, which we will call a yes or no question. The question is, you downloaded a program from the internet that says it has been examined and certified as safe by CYD Security. Should you continue with the installation? Yes or no? The answer will be revealed in next week's episode. But if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash popquiz to submit your guess and find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you'll be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 3 in August. But your guess must be submitted before the next episode airs next Monday, June 7th. For official rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz rules. Last week's question was, 
You should not be concerned if a website emails your password to you when you say you forgot it. True or false? The correct answer is false. If you say you forgot your password and a website emails your password to you instead of a link to change your password, you absolutely should be concerned. The current best practice for a website is that the site should not have any idea what your password is. When you set your password, the site should use a special encryption method called hashing to protect it. The difference between hashing and traditional encryption is that hashing only works in one direction. That means it's relatively easy to get from the password to the hashed version, but it's very difficult to get from the hashed version back to your password. Every time you enter your password, the site hashes it again and compares that hash to the one it stored when you created the password. If the hashes match, the site lets you in. The benefit of this method is that if someone manages to access the site's database, that person won't get the actual passwords of the users. All that they'll have is the hashed version. However, that can still be a problem if people use the most common passwords. Since every instance of the word password would produce the same hash, it would be easy to assume that the most common hashes in the database would correlate in a similar manner to the most commonly used passwords. That would essentially defeat some of the purpose of hashing passwords. So for that reason, the best practices for password management now also include salting the hash by adding extra data to the password before running the hash function. As long as the same data is included in the same way every time the password hash is calculated, it's still going to produce the same result when you log in. But with unique salts, every instance of a password in the database will produce a different hash. And I don't know about you, but all this talk of hashes and salting is starting to get me a little hungry. Memorial Day typically begins one of the heaviest travel periods of the year. But with all that travel comes the increased chance of security problems as you're vacationing. And you certainly don't want your trip interrupted by a security issue. We'll discuss six ways to keep yourself safe when you're traveling when we come back from this short break. Hi, it's Jim. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you could follow us in your favorite podcast player. That will ensure you never miss an episode. And while you're there, we'd also appreciate it if you could rate the show and give us a review. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And finally, the best review that someone can give us is to tell their friends about the show. Invite them to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send them to our website, cybersecuritymadepersonal.com, where they can find links to the show in all the major podcast players. Thanks for your support, and now back to the show.
Are you planning a trip this summer? From now through mid-August, the summer travel season will be in full swing. And since many people didn't take a trip last summer, and many more chose to stay closer to home due to the uncertainty, this summer could be the first big opportunity to check another destination off your bucket list in the last couple years. However, when you travel, you also need to think about your security, both at home and at your destination. You don't want to lose important information, documents, or devices while you're away from home, and you also don't want to return home to find your house was ransacked while you were away. So with that in mind, here are six steps that you can take to protect yourself when you travel. Our first step begins before you've even left or packed. Beware of travel scams. While there are plenty of good travel agents, both online and in person, there's also no shortage of scam travel agencies that will take your money and either not book your trip at all or book you with accommodations that are subpar to your expectations. Nothing will spoil your trip faster than finding out you lost money or that you ended up in a one-star hotel when you thought you were paying for a three-star one. And since many people book their vacations well in advance, it may be more complicated, if not impossible, to dispute the charge on your credit or debit card. Also, be very careful when you search for travel deals online. Like with travel agents, there are plenty of good sites offering travel deals, but there are also plenty of scams. So if you find a travel site offering a good deal and you're not familiar with the site, I recommend investigating the company on the Better Business Bureau's site. Checking the complaints will often give you a good idea of whether this site is a scam or legitimate. However, do be careful about new companies that don't have any complaints yet. Scammers will often make frequent name changes in order to get new victims. Second, as you begin your travels, don't sync your devices or accounts with devices that aren't yours. I've told the story previously about the time I rented a car and found contacts from the previous renters synced with the car's systems. You don't want to give away your phone number or the numbers of your friends to random strangers. You also don't want to sync accounts with public devices. For example, your hotel television may have built-in apps for many services, like Hulu, Netflix, Roku, and others. Some hotels may disable these apps on the TV, but others might leave them available. I highly recommend not connecting your personal accounts to these apps. And if you do decide to utilize them, Make absolutely sure that you sign out before you leave. Third, don't give away details of your trip until after you're back. Sure, it's fun to brag about your upcoming vacation to everyone you see, but not everyone can be trusted. People can find your address and much more information about you online if they really want to. And if you've been bragging about your upcoming trip, 
Someone could probably assume that your house is going to be empty during that time. Also, be careful what you post on social media, both before and during your trip. There may be people you can't trust on your friends list, especially if you haven't looked it over recently. Plus, there's also the possibility you could accidentally make a post about your trip public and display the fact that you're away from home to the entire world. Fourth, there's another way that you can announce to the world that you're not home. Ignore your mail and package delivery. A stuffed mailbox or packages sitting in front of your house for days is a clear sign that you're not there. Make sure you arrange for someone to pick up your mail and packages while you're away from home. And along the same lines, do your best to avoid placing orders to be shipped to your home during the time when you're away. It's an unnecessary risk that the package could be stolen before someone is able to pick it up. Fifth, when you're in your hotel, be careful not to leave anything sensitive or valuable sitting in your hotel room. Your devices and your documents could be taken by an unscrupulous hotel employee or by someone who managed to trick their way into getting a key. And don't think it's safe just because you put a Do Not Disturb sign on your door. If the sign gets knocked off the door, someone could still end up going inside your room. And sixth, as I've mentioned many times before on the show, limit what you do on public Wi-Fi. Don't enter any sensitive data, passwords, or access your online banking while you're on public Wi-Fi. You don't know who else could be lurking on the network attempting to monitor what you're doing. If you must do something sensitive away from home, it's best to use your phone's data plan. If the device you have doesn't have a mobile data plan, see if you can tether your phone to that device. And if you absolutely have to use a public Wi-Fi, then use a VPN. A VPN, or virtual private network, encrypts your traffic while it's on the public network so that your information remains protected. It's an extra layer of protection to add to your data. That's all for today. Have a wonderful, relaxing, and safe trip if you have any travel plans this summer. We'll be back on our normal Monday schedule next week with an episode discussing how you can protect the data on a broken phone. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked in the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com 
slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening, and stay safe.